as I said earlier, today we are continuing our series on Love Reigns. And, and looking at it, it begin, we began on Easter Sunday because it's important to note that God loves reigns. And it's, it's not reigns this way, it's, it's reign as, as a king reigns. A king rules, a king is in control. A king is, is sovereign and God is sovereign. But all that, it flows out of the fact because on Easter Sunday, God said he was God. That was it. God said, you know what? Everything that is wrong with the world, I'm going to fix on this day. I'm going to make it possible for everyone on this planet, both in the past and in the future, to know me and come into my presence. And, and God just showed he was God. And he went to the cross. He actually paid our penalty. And then there's just this big full stop, like big approval stamp. A big tick happens on Easter Sunday when Jesus rose again and said, yep, I'm it. I am the one. I, it is, it is, he, he, on the cross, he said it, it was finished. But like Easter Sunday, it was like, yeah, it is really finished, guys. You have nothing else to worry about in life. And last week, we continued on flowing out of that idea and looking how God reigns over our past. And our past is something that can be, it can grab a hold of our present and it can dictate our future if we wanted to. Uh, or if we allow it to. Sometimes we don't want it to. We just allow it to happen. And it could be hurts of our past. It could be struggles we've gone in. It could be identity. It could be how we feel like a failure with everything we've tried, we haven't done. Do you know what? The thing is, it could be the thing that we could feel like, do you know what? I'm the most average person in the world. I haven't done anything really bad. I haven't done anything really great, but I'm going to be stuck being sort of mediocre, medium all the rest of my life. And we, we get that idea trapped in our head. And, and whether it's hurts, our, our thinking, our identity, we talked about how God's love reigns over that because on the cross, he basically went, I can actually disconnect you from your past because I want to make you a new creation. I want to change you. I want to make you into something new. And we, we talked about this idea that God doesn't want to just do an add-on like We've, we've got some great sort of manual sort of, um, creative people in our church, but I'm sure we've probably got people in our church as well who go, do you know what? I've got this space here. I want to improve. And, and when they add on, it doesn't add on the value because maybe the quality is not there. Maybe it doesn't work out as well. We, we put a shelf in that's crooked and like, or we, we put a shelf on that actually doesn't stay up when you put things on. Or we put a door on that doesn't sort of lock. All of a sudden, it, and, and sometimes we think that's what God does to our life. He, he does maybe a little bit of an improvement and adds, tries to add a bit of value on. But like, look what he's working with. How's he going to improve this? Like, and, and how is he going to fix this up? But the reality, God says, no, nah, that's not how I'm working. I'm going to strip it all down and then I'm going to rebuild you. I'm going to transform you. And that's why God can actually take our past and say, it was there, but I can heal you and I can move you past that. And today we're, we're, we're going to continue in that idea because God not only, his love does not only reign in our over our past, he reigns in our present. Um, now, we don't have many kids in church today, so I'll see if you grown-ups can work out. Who knows the game Simon Says? Okay, everyone sort of knows the premise. I said, Simon Says, put your hand up. Also, a lot of you are out already. Come on. Like Simon says, put your hand up. Simon says, put your hands on your head. 
Simon says, sit down. Good job. Like um, Simon says, um, put your hands on your shoulders, hands on your nose. And some people got, yeah, like I didn't say Simon says, put your hands on your nose. So we, but the thing is like, basically there's instructions and now either because you're not listening or you're so focused on doing the action, sometimes you do something you're not meant to do. Um, and Simon says, can be a test of your willingness to listen to instruction or to decide to ignore it altogether. There are some people when they play Simon Says, they're happy to get out. Going, I want to go sit on the side, hurry up and do something so I can get out. Um, and, but, and it is a test because we have all been given a will of our own. And this, this idea is very much present what I'm going to be talking about today because we have been given choices. We have been given our own will. And sadly at times... We trust in our own wisdom over God's. We trust in our own wisdom over God's. Now, do you know what? I know that to be a very foolish thing because sometimes I know how selfish I am or how angry I am or whatever other description. I, I know that. And sometimes I go, you know what? I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing it for the right reasons. And as I dig a little bit deeper, I'm going, I'm being greedy. I'm being selfish. And I'm actually letting my choices outweigh. And I, I won't even ask God. Like, I don't know about you. Maybe you guys are right, walking really close with God. But there are times I won't pray about something because I, I'm pretty sure what the answer will be. And I don't want to get that answer. So if I stretch it out and I'm saying, God, bless these choices, but don't give me your opinion on these, like, I want to go my own way. And the thing is... That's me ruling in my life. That's me sitting on the throne of my life. And in so doing, like, I've got to accept the consequences of that. Like, as much as I want to turn around and say, God, look at what you didn't do. You didn't actually fix up my choices. You should have come in and corrected them. No, God says, I wanted you to go this way. You went that way. And so today we're going to be talking about how we can learn to be in sync with who God is. Um, and because we live day to day and we make thousands of choices, we're, we're constantly having to weigh up options and choose what we think is best. And sometimes our decisions are influenced by things that we are told to do and we find ourselves being obedient to voices around us that do not have our best, best interests in mind. And so this is where we've got to go, do you know what? I know where God comes from. God has actually done all he's done to love us. God has all the wisdom and all the power to be able to sort of achieve his will in our lives. And yet we will open our ears and our minds to a whole lot of other stuff. It can be friends. It can be workmates. It can be the TV. It can be Facebook. Like Facebook has a lot of different opinions. Like, and I'm going, they all disagree with each other. And I'm going, a lot of people on Facebook must be wrong because they are all constantly going against it. I'm going, and, and you sort of go, I can jump on that side, but what if they're not right? I jump on this side, and what if they're not right? And so we need to get to a position where we are able to listen to God's voice and in order to make the best decision possible right now, today. And that's what I want to look at. First point today, my choices reveal who reigns in my life. Do you, do you realize that? The things that you choose reveals at least to yourself, reveals at least to God. And, and a lot of times, 
It reveals to other people who rules in your life, who reigns in your life. The things we choose to do or not to do show who we are listening to. Our lives are largely made up of decisions we make and that can be a a painful litmus test to whom or what has our allegiance. Our past is a collection of wise or unwise choices um, that we have made along the way. And if we look back on those past decisions, who would we conclude was in charge? How many of our past decisions were a result of, um, of obedience to God? How many of those choices were a result of obedience to our sinful desires or the voice of this world? The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about living under the influence of God rather than the influence of the world. He frequently focuses on this topic because as followers of Christ and people who have responded to love of God, that love ought to reign in our lives and rule over our decisions. But often that is not the case. Um, That first verse from Romans 12 um, um, this morning uh, said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and proper worship. See, Paul begins to, by saying that every instruction he, he is about to give must be seen through a specific lens in order to fully grasp the, this new way of living in the present. Uh, we have to see all of life in a certain way. His, cannot, his comments cannot be appreciated in any other way. Uh, when I was, I, was, I was probably early high school, um, I got a, a relatively cheap telescope um, for my birthday. And, um, and I remember going out at night and having, like it was hard to find other planets and stuff with it, but the moon was awesome because you look at the moon and all of a sudden you would see such great detail of what was there. And Noah got one a few years ago and we've gone out a few different times. We've gone out some of those four o'clock in the morning when the blood moon's happening or eclipses are happening and, and looking at through the te- telescope and, and, and sort of sitting there freezing outside. But the thing is like, you do have an increased perspective of what's happening. And, and, and that, all of a sudden, everything becomes clearer. You, you see the craters and you see the detail of the craters and, and you see, oh, things that you can't see just standing up and looking at by yourself. And, but also then you can look at other things through that telescope and, and it becomes a lens that magnifies. And, and as you focus that telescope in, what you are focusing on becomes clearer to you. And this is Paul's goal in, in this passage as well. He wants to change the way that you see your life. He wants you to reorient the way that you see your present situation. He says, in view of God's mercy, it's, this passage is not saying, hey, because you owe God or because you guys are so terrible, because of this, no, because of God's love, because of God's mercy, this is how we should live. Because God has, has overwhelmingly poured his love and his purposes and his plan into your life, doesn't it make sense to respond in kind? And, and, and the thing is, I suppose the way I look at it at times, we as adults can be like kids who receive that unwanted gift. I don't know if you've ever done it or you've seen your own kids or grandkids do it. You give them a gift and they go, what's this? Where, where's my, where's my super duper fangled whatever else? What, what am I going to use this for? This, this is terrible. And maybe they say other few words. And we, we as parents or grandparents and looking down and going, well, I'm going to, we, and I'm thinking, we do exactly the same thing to God. 
In view of God's mercy, in view of everything he's done, and we kind of go, no, 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 God, I don't like that. We do that as adults. God has given this to us and so we can live in his love and, and walk in his ways and enjoy the life he has for us. And instead, what do we do? I still want my own way, God. That gift that you've given me is not what I want. Now, imagine if God acted the way we do as parents when we see our kids do that. Oh, that's a bit scary, isn't it? Like, as parents, you want to sort of give the kids the old boot um, just to put them back in the line. I'm going, God's boot's pretty big. That could be a bit scary. But God, again, in view of his mercy, um, this is the lens, God's mercy. Just this one thing could change your life. How many of us walk around grumbling and complaining about our present circumstances? We often are not satisfied with our lot in life. And so we try to do things on our own. We try to be in control and do things to please ourselves. But Paul invites us to see things differently through the lens of, of the mercy of God. God has been so merciful to you and to me. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross because of his mercy. He offered us a fresh start to, of repentance because of mercy. He loves us unconditionally because of his mercy. This alone can change our present by helping us to move our focus from what we want to have done to the things that God has already done. Yeah, this, uh, do we never pray that way we're, we're praying for what god is going to do tomorrow for us and then we'll thank him and we don't take him to thank him for yesterday and the day before and the week before and and the the decades before for some of you almost the centuries before like that like um but the thing is there is a long list of the things that god has done in our life and then we go back to the bible and all those things that he did before we we're even born that we can thank him for and yet we still struggle to thank god don't we need to shift our perspective a little here don't we need to sort of shift our focus and going do you know what when i wake up in the morning oh yeah i've got plenty to complain about i've got so much more to be thankful for When we turn our attention to the mercy of God, then we are compelled to live our lives as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. This concept of sacrifice is rich with imagery and history um, for the audience that Paul was speaking to. You see, a sacrifice involved taking the life of an animal, whether a goat, sheep, bird, and the animal's blood would atone for the sins of the people. That life would cover the life of all of the one performing the sacrifice. It involved death and it, it offered life. And this is why Jesus' death was so was considered the ultimate sacrifice for humanity. So why is Paul urging this imagery? Um, why is Paul using this imagery for us? And why a living sacrifice? I think we get a glimpse of this in, in Psalm 51, looking at verses 16 and 17. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will, will not despise. The author of Psalm 51 is shedding light on the real reason for the sacrificial system that the Jews had in place. It was not about the sacrifice itself. It was about the heart behind the sacrifice. The true sacrifice of a follower of Jesus is a contrite heart and obedient spirit. That is what God is looking for, for now, since Jesus has paid it all by the blood on the cross. Paul calls us to be living sacrifices. That is actually more difficult than being a dead one. A dead sacrifice has no choice. 
It can't get back up off. If you are cooking a barbecue and the cow hops off, you have skipped a few steps. But as living sacrifices, this is the choice we have. We can one Sunday, God, guess I surrender all to you. I, I trust you, God. I give my life to you. And we, we fall down. We stand up. We open our arms wide. We, we surrender all of ourselves. And then this thing called Monday happens. And all of a sudden we go, God, yes, I gave it all to you yesterday, but today is different. And God says, how? I'm still in control. I've still died for your sins. You are still forgiven. You are still under my grace and mercy. What has changed? God, I want to be in control today. And that's where living sacrifices becomes a whole lot harder. Because on any given day, we can hop up and go, God, I'm going to go sit in the cheap seats at the front there. Because living on that sacrifice, living on that altar, is just a bit too hard today. And we hop up. A living sacrifice can crawl back off whenever it wants. And Paul says, in view of God's mercy, to live as a living sacrifice, live a life right now in the presence, under the rule and reign of, of love, and be repentant and obedient to God. That, that's why it's become so important in the, in the present to, to understand God is in control right now because right now I surrender to you, God. Right now I'm on the altar. And tomorrow, when, when we are in tomorrow, we say those same things. God, because you reign today, because your grace is here today, I surrender my life. And that's why we, 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 Jesus said that, that passage back in the Gospels, we take up our cross daily some of us would like it weekly maybe biannually um every couple of months um every decade maybe that's when we hit the big zero years or something like that that's what we want but jesus says daily you take up your cross and you follow me and this is i've often thought about this just pondered over this verse because and and how because you know on those days, because Jesus keeps on moving. Jesus is, is still active in our life. And I think the problem when we don't follow God daily, and this is, this is not some deep, correct theological thought. This is a thought. So take it or leave it if you want to. But the thing is, if I'm hiking and some, I'm hiking with someone and, and they go, I'm tired, I'm going to stop. And I'm going I'm to keep going. When they're ready, I'm no longer near them. And so they've actually got to work harder to catch up. And I think sometimes we struggle, like we all of a sudden we stop following God for a day or a week, six months. Let's call it a year. Like we've just had a bad year and I'll, I'll, I'll get back close to God. I've had those times. I'm going to get right with God again now. I've, I've been away a bit. But all of a sudden God seems a bit distant. And, and then I go, well, God, if you want me to follow you, you need to be close to me. And I'm going, well, God is still moving. And, and so every time we do that, every time as believers that we stop following God, I think it's, this doesn't apply as much to non-believers because they've never been on that journey with God and God meets them where they are. But as believers, as followers of Christ, every time we stop following, I think it becomes that little bit harder to get back with, with Christ. And we actually get a little bit more comfortable sitting where we are. Like, I know all the answers to the Bible quiz. Doesn't that show that I'm following God? I show up at church, doesn't that show I'm following God? I wear matching socks to church, doesn't that show I'm following God? But no, it is walking in step. It is actually being on the altar, being a living sacrifice, being surrendered to him that shows that we are 
a follower of God. Paul goes on in this passage uh, in verse 2 and looks at the ultimate outcome of living the sacrificial life. In, in verse 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm going to start there. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. I I can say at times, when I was younger, when I maybe child, late primary school, I thought following God at times was doing the things that you have to do, but you don't want to do. Anyone ever felt like that in their Christian faith? Okay. Okay, it's just me and Jeff. Okay, I'll talk to Jeff then. Like um, everyone else is more mature, moved on. But the thing is, there's been times I'm going, this is what I have to do. This is what Christians do. And, and my motivation for doing that has been duty. I owe God back. I'm in his debt and I just have to do this. And I will do it begrudgingly. It's like getting my kids to work around the house. They will do it, but there's complaining, there's grumbling, there's a whole lot of weird noises, and that's just usually me. Um, but the thing is, my, my God wants us to want to follow him. And, and the thing is, but then he says, again, he just gives us a great reason to because he wants us to know what his will is. And then he says, it is good and it is pleasing and it is perfect. And when we walk in that will, all of a sudden, and not saying there won't be trials, but we'll be at peace. We will be in line with God's will. All of a sudden, we're walking step by step with Jesus. His presence is known to us. It's, it's constant for us. It is a good place to be. Let's go back to the start of that verse. The world around us has patterns that lead to broken life. The world is marked by patterns of greed and selfishness and pride and envy and gossip. And these patterns are easy to fall into and can be difficult to transform. They are called patterns because they are routine and often done mindlessly. And also because these patterns can be identified and changed. And that's my second point I want to look at today. Changing your patterns will change your life. With a little attention, patterns can be easily identified. It's a skill that we've been learning from childhood. Okay, let me see if I, I can do it for you here. Okay, I want you to fill in the last thing that I, I, I say here. So one, two, three, four. Okay, two, four, six, eight. Okay, let's do it backwards. Nine, seven, five, three. Okay, so you've, you've got it. You recognize patterns. What about this one? Green, orange. And if you don't follow that pattern, it goes green, orange, red, red and blue flashing. Okay, that's how that pattern works. So we, we recognize patterns. Um, we, we see that in our lives. And, and, and it can be shapes. It can be other things. like. But what we need to realize is the same thing can be true in our lives as well. When we pay attention to our patterns, we begin to anticipate or understand what comes next then we can change them. Like if you are like allergic to seafood and you go, but I love seafood, and then you eat seafood, you know what happens next. You look like a fish. Your lips swell up and someone tries to put a hook in it. Well, I don't know that, but that's the thing. If, if you know that's the pattern, like it won't change as much as you love seafood and, and other things like that. 
to identify patterns, sometimes we have to change our perspective. And perhaps this is the reason why Paul tells us to see life in view of God's mercy. When we understand God's love and his mercy for us, we find the reason to transform our lives and renew our minds. You see how that renewing our minds is part of changing us? A lot of us try and work on the outside in. I'll, like, and I was, the first thing you notice about when people become Christians, some of them don't have what you call church clothes. Some of us don't dress up as nice as Harry and Greg. Like we, we don't have our, our, our summer shirts that are, are, are out and they kind of go, um, the, the best shirt they have might be a Metallica shirt because they bought it at their latest concert and it's got a skull on it and, and people, they walk into church but go, this is my best shirt. But over time they will go, oh, that's not the shirt to wear at church and I'll, I'll, I'll put on a nice shirt. I'll buy a nice shirt. And, and we go, oh, they're a good Christian now because they know what to wear to church. No, no, no. You don't work from the outside in. You work from the inside out. And Jesus is always, that's always been Jesus' plan. And so when we renew our mind, it changes the way we think. Think about who we are. Think about who God is. Think about the world in which we live. Think about what's important, what's not important. God renews our mind. And if we, God, if we don't let God do some work there, you are always going to be working from the outside in. It's like going to a high school camp and, and the boys will, will put on new clothes each day but forget to change underwear. And, and, and the thing is, by day three, don't sit next to them. Like they, they have their own seat at the dining room table because the problem isn't being changed. And that's what it is like for us. So maybe you've developed a pattern of talking down to yourself whenever you make a mistake or you, and it always leads to feeling depressed or anxious. Break the pattern. Do not conform to it any longer. Maybe you've noticed a pattern of telling lies to people around you. It always leads to more lies and a deceptive lifestyle. Don't, do not conform to it any longer. Maybe you have seen a pattern of laziness in your life and has produced a spirit of apathy toward your work, family, and, and dreams. In view of God's mercy, do not continue that pattern. Break it and experience new life. I suppose it leads to this point. This is, this is where we've come to today. We need to trade. So I'll say it this way. Trade our will for God's will or trade your will for God's will. The ultimate outcome of a sacrificial life and a renewed mind is the ability to distinguish the will of God for your present life. How many in, the, in this room today have struggled wondering what decision to make today about that thing or this thing? Many of us want to do what God wants us to do when it comes to our career or serving others or loving our family or investing our energy and resources. Paul says that the best way to the will of God is by trading our own will in and creating better patterns in our lives. What if you were to trade in the time and energy you used to spend on those old patterns in your life and created new patterns with better outcomes? Under the reign of love and mercy on your life, spend time in prayer. Read scripture, serve others and listen to the voice of God. 
God promises to lead us and to show us his will for our lives when we submit to his leadership in our lives. The book of Proverbs speaks about this in in, uh, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. What, what is that? What is that? The verse seems self-explanatory, but I think sometimes we go, that's a nice verse, and we go, put it in our memory banks if we're that, that way inclined, or we go, oh, I'll look that up verse another time. But it's, it's really powerful. It says, trust in God with all of your heart. Now, again, the, when the Hebrew talks about this, it, it means with all your being. Put your, all your weight on God in this. And sometimes we say, but God, I can't trust you with this. or I don't think you're big enough for this. Or God, you won't want to know about this in my life. And we hold it back from him. And this verse says, no, trust God with all of you have and lean not on your own understanding. Now, for those who sort of um, like, this is a bit of a slap in the face in the Bible. It says, you guys will not understand best what is good for your life. Like, the, 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 the Solomon, as he writes this, the wisest person says, don't trust your own understanding. Trust God. Because if you agree with me, you're right. But anytime you disagree with me, oh, you're way wrong. And, and this is where he says, don't trust in your own ability to think, oh, this is the way I've got to go. Trust in where God is leading. In all your ways, submit to him. Now, submit is one of those words that um, I, we, we see it in the passage where like husband, wife, wives submit to your husbands. Actually, it also says husbands and wives submit to each other. So like, don't sort of read just one part of that passage. But submit basically means to surrender, to yield, to give control to. And so in this verse, it says we need to submit to him. We need to give God control. We need to let him, what's that word, reign in our lives. We need to let him be Lord of our lives. I don't know about you, when you became a Christian, um, there were, there was, it sort of goes through phases, some of the terminology, but one of the things I remember, um, and it still happens quite a bit, and it's not a bad thing, this is not a critical thing, but like, you'll go through that, that, this, this, the saving prayer or the sinner's prayer, and it says, I accept you to be my Lord and Savior. Yeah, Jesus is saving you today. But he wants to do more than that. God is going to continue the work in your life and he wants to be Lord of your life. And again, sometimes we minimize that. We want Jesus to be our best friend. We want him to be our, um, like our, uh, what is it, our emergency contact. If we're on who wants to be a millionaire in our life and go, oh, I need to get out of jail free card. No, no, he wants to be Lord in our life. He becomes those other things. He becomes a, a close friend. He becomes like a brother to us. He becomes someone who is there in our deepest, darkest moment, but he still wants to be Lord in our life. And that's what it means to submit. And he will make our path straight. I, I know I've done this where I try and go, God, I'm going to straighten out my life and then I'm going to follow you. And, and even when I straighten out my life, my life is not straight. So then I've got to straighten up the almost straight life that didn't quite get there. And I think I can do it myself again. And God says, no, you can't. Let me make your path straight. We need to learn to trust God that he can do this in our life right now. And the thing is, you, you can see this as a, as a parent at times because sometimes anyone ever said, 
uh, you need to go to bed because you're tired? And the response is, I'm not tired. Sometimes it comes as a scream. Sometimes it's just a, a, a ram, random noise. But they go, but I'm not tired. I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to do that. And the thing is, put up your hand if you love your children. I, I, some of you are a bit hesitant to put your hand up. Okay, like Maybe you're thinking about them going to bed. I'm, oh, I'm not sure about that time. But the thing is, we love our kids. We want what's best for our kids. And when we say we want you to go to bed, now maybe there's that time we want them to go to bed so we've got peace and quiet. So maybe that time is a little bit selfish. But most of the time we're saying you need to go to bed because I can see right now that because of your lack of sleep, you're not doing okay. And because if you don't get enough sleep right now, tomorrow you're not going to be doing okay. And I, I want what's best for you. And as, as children, they, they sleep becomes so good for them, not just so that they're like rest the rest of the next day but their body heals their body grows they 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 get better during the night as they sleep and so we want the best for our kids do the kids trust us with that do your children trust that you know what you're talking about when it comes to their sleeping patterns no they don't now do you see any similarities between that when god says trust me but god i'm not greedy God, I'm, I'm, I'm not angry. God, I'm not tired. God, I'm not unhappy. God, I know what I'm doing. And God lovingly says, no, this is the way for you to go. And he desires us to trust him when he says that. In the same way he wants our children, well, we want our children to trust us when we, we, that we know what's best for them. God wants to, us to trust him that he knows what's best for us. Trust is a hard thing to teach and even harder to learn. But if we are going to live the full life God has for us, we must trust his love for us and let that love reign in our lives and over our presence. Let's take time to pray this morning. As your, as your eyes are shut this morning, you, there might be an element of your life right now that just comes to mind. There might be more than one that is really, um, you are really aware of at the moment where you are not trusting God. You are not leaning on, on his wisdom. You're leaning on your own understanding. You are not submitting your life. And, and whatever that thing is, God wants you to give it to him so that he can rule over your presence. And now we need, you need to trust that God loves you. You need to trust that God knows what he's doing. And so this morning, I'm just going to give you a bit of time for you to surrender that to God, you to submit to God in that way and trust him with all your heart. Lord, we thank you that your love reigns today, that you are the same God who created the world. You are the same God who went to the cross. You are the same God who conquered death. And in view of your mercy, let us live as living sacrifices, surrendered to you, Trusting in your will for us. Trusting that you will do what is best for us. Let us stop fighting you over those things and to let you rule, let you be Lord in our life today. But also tomorrow and the day that follows. Help us to recognize patterns that lead us on a path away from you. And to to renew our mind, to, to gain a new perspective on what you want us, how we should be looking at our lives. And so, Lord, we ask you to do a work today 
in each of our hearts, in each of our minds. To live free from the patterns that so easily ensnare and entangle us. And to live free following your will, your good and perfect and pleasing will. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love that reigns in our lives and in this world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.